0: When you talk about the probability of an economic slowdown, we know that economic slowdowns tend to happen at the end of the hiking cycle. Right now, we are, I'd say, knee-deep in a hiking cycle. A recession is never an if, it's a when.
1: Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. This week, the Bank of Canada surprised markets by raising interest rates by a whopping 100 basis points. In today's episode, portfolio managers Chris Heeks and Matt Montemuro, as well as your host Mark Reyes, discuss how central banks so badly misjudged inflation and what it means for the chances of an economic downturn. They also look at short-term bonds, energy, U.S. equity markets, and ESG investing. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at BMOETFS.ca.
2: Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETF weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm today's host, Mark Rays, Head of Product for BMO Global Asset Management. I'd like to thank everyone for listening in today. We certainly appreciate your time. We're joined by two portfolio managers today, Chris Heeks and Matt Montemuro. Thanks to both of you for making the time today. Thanks, Mark. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Let's get right into things. Uh, certainly some more market news for us to digest, economic news. We've had inflation numbers certainly front and center uh, for quite a while now on our calls. Certainly the Fed expected to make further moves, and we've got Bank of Canada with a very significant announcement today. If we were to look back to last year, what do you think has caused the central banks to miss by so much with with the rise in inflation? And if you tie that together, what is now the probability of an economic slowdown as they try to react very quickly? And once you get through that, if you look at our suite of factory ETFs, what is a good add for portfolios considering these conditions? Thanks.
0: Yeah, thanks, Mark. I'll start it off. I think, you know, a lot of the kind of problems of inflation They started with the COVID sell-off. Um, you know, obviously, COVID was, you know, something that was very unique in our lifetimes, put a real strain on uh, people and companies as, as you know, we had to lock down on a global basis. You know, I think in order to deal with that, you know, we did markets recovered fairly quickly and we there was a lot of stimulus put into the system. Again, that helped markets recover. But I think what we're seeing now is maybe, you know, the impact of that stimulus being kind of you know inflating having that inflation effect and at the same time you throw in a few other kind of curveballs like russia and ukraine disrupting global energy supply you know you throw in you know policies such as locking down china and disrupting supply chains there you know i think it's all been kind of fuel to the fire unfortunately so uh, yes, yeah, so the central banks. Um, you know, I think they've all but admitted they're a, they're a bit late to do it, but uh, they certainly mean business. I mean, we see the, the Bank of Canada has gone up with a, a hundred basis points, uh, the largest largest increase since 1998. Uh, you know, inflation. We just got that CPI print of 9.1 percent in the U.S., and that exceeded expectations by 30 basis points. It's a very unique environment. Um, you know, it, at least compared to the last 20 plus years. You know when you talk about the probability of an economic slowdown you know we know that economic slowdowns tend to happen at the end of the hiking cycle uh there tends to be a little bit of a pause and that tends to be where where it happens so you know right now we are you know i'd say knee deep in a hiking cycle a recession is never an if it's a when You know, the business cycle uh it's just that it's a cycle and it tends to repeat so you know i think there's a possibility we may be in one right now, but I think, you know, the more likely is it's a little bit down the road into next year. But as we circle back to equity markets and looking at, you know, factor equities and, and what's performing, you know, you are seeing a really, you know, increasing dynamic of uh, fear of inflation. Uh, so to combine, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of meat to your question, and I hope that I'm kind of addressing it all. But to, in, to address kind of higher and stickier inflation, which I think is officially not Not considered transitory, but, you know, something that's quite sticky now Uh, to address that. And, you know, fears of an economic slowdown. I think really dividends and low volatility ETFs is where, you know, we could kind of continue to recommend dividends. Um, You know, and again, the BMO dividend ETFs focus on high quality, sustainable paying companies. So these aren't just high dividend yield speculative companies, but these are companies with really strong profit streams. No paying out dividends um, you know responsibly and they're covered by cash flow uh, these portfolios tend to have a little bit less risk uh, than a broad market um, additionally you know there's some good research that dividend companies can uh, fare well in high inflation environments you know so dividend companies can do a little bit better than growth companies because they have current earnings and they can pass on uh, some of those inflated related inflation related pressures So I think uh, dividends, you know, would be one that I would highlight in terms of, you know, continue the the well-rounded portfolios and give you a little bit of defensiveness. Um, And, you know, low volatility, I think it's a great time to to take another look at um, because they're really, you know, over the past month, as the fear of uh, recession has increased, low volatility has really showed up and shown the benefits it can add to portfolios. So if you look in Canada, our ZLB is now outperforming the TSX by about 7% year to date. It's down three. The TSX is down ten. Uh, in the U.S., our ZLU is actually up one percent. Also benefited by currency exposure in that portfolio. But uh, relative to the S&P, it's outperforming by about seventeen percent because that the index is down seventeen. So, uh, you know, I think you know we got we got some more volatility to deal with. I think it's kind of prudent to take a little bit of risk off the table, but you know we still have to stay invested. You know, these types of factors can give you that exposure to equity upside, but also help you mitigate some of the risk uh, that we're seeing in markets. So, you know, those those are ones that I think would be ones that investors can consider given kind of all the dynamics in the market right now.
2: Great. Thanks for that, Chris. I know there was a lot of questions in that one question, so I appreciate you covering all of it.
3: If you're looking for essential information on BMO ETFs at a glance, check out the monthly momentum report, What's Trending? Consistent, comprehensive updates that feature performance numbers for all of BMO's ETFs, as well as easy-to-read charts and breakdowns by asset class and sector. Staying up to date has never been simpler. Access What's Trending anytime at bmoetfs.ca.
2: Now let's move on to the next. Of course, with this inflation and as well with widening credit spreads, there hasn't been too many areas to hide in fixed income. So, Can you comment on the short-term market with our ZSB? The advisors are asking if we should expect the price to stabilize, or if we look out as far as five years, with the five-year yields expected to rise further, with it now being up over 3%. Thanks. Okay?
4: I can take this one, Mark, and, you know, I think the short end is definitely an area where we've seen investors flock to and continue to have interest in uh, in an attempt to kind of curb some of that duration risk within their portfolios. You know, inflation has caused an unprecedented rise in in rates and and compounding uh, with kind of that ever widening credit spread that we've seen in, in 2022. You know, that's really created a, a big, pretty big headache for, for all fixed income investors alike. You know, if I just look at short term volatility, that really has caused credit spreads uh, in the short end to widen significantly. Uh, and if you actually look at spreads, they widen much more so than we've seen in the midterm and long term spreads. So the brunt of a lot of that credit spread widening has happened in the short term. You know, this has caused kind of the short end to sell off uh, more so uh, in comparison uh, to the, the mid and the long, if you just look from a isolate credit um, and from a credit perspective. If I look historically and you remove March 2020 uh, from the equation, you know, we're sitting at the widest prolonged period of short-term credit spreads since we've seen since 2011. You know, so you know, looking at that and looking at where we're at from a credit spread perspective in the short end, you know, it is my my belief that the the short end is oversold, and that you know there could be an opportunity here to to take advantage of some tightening, uh, even if we do see some kind of shaky growth and potential recession on the horizon. Um, you know, I do think that if if we do see some geopolitical risks subside, I think we could see some. Some kind of short-term tightening of credit spreads but just looking at it historically you know it does look like short-term credit uh, looks attractive to me at these levels i think uh, you're getting a pretty nice yield premium and i think at that point um I, I if i was an investor i i would definitely strongly consider something like zsb or zcs uh for the current market conditions you know if i look forward and look at rates You know, the five years around 3.15%, you know, falling um, lately from peaking at around 350, kind of mid-June. You know, overnight rates after today's, uh, you know, as Chris said, surprise, 100 basis point hike. You know, the the Bank of Canada really put their game face on at that 100 basis point hike, surprising the market. We now sit at an overnight rate of 2.25%, and the market's expecting kind of year-end around that 3.7%. You know, we haven't seen a hike of 100 basis points since since 98, as as Chris said. So I do think that the Bank of Canada is going to continue on this aggressive path. And I do think that there still is room for the five year to continue to rise. But relatively, I think that we are nearing a ceiling here. I think that, you know, we could see another, you know, 50 to 100 basis points of rate increases in that five year. But, but I don't think we could see much more. So I think we're getting to the ceiling. You know, uh, I, I don't think we're there yet, but I think we're, we're getting close. You know, given uh, the, the rate hikes that are expected, uh, I think the curve should continue to flatten. I think um, ZSB could be very well positioned for that type of environment. You know, if you look at a yield, look at its yield right now, it's close to 3.7% uh, and rising. Uh, you know, you're being compensated in a pretty attractive yield in the short end for taking very, you know, little to you know, kind of that two-year two, two year duration risk. You're, you're kind of reducing a lot of that volatility and that longer duration risk from your portfolio, and you're still capturing a pretty attractive yield. So, you know, if I look at kind of comparing it to relative to, to kind of midterm and long-term rates, you know, a lot of investors I can see saying, you know what, why don't I take some of that downside, that volatility off the table, capture that yield, um, and just kind of, you know, insulate my fixed income portfolio for the period to come. You know, I think this is highlighted in in Alfred Lee's uh, trade opportunity this week on short uh, short duration fixed income. You know, I would look at ZSB as a way to uh, reduce my overall portfolio duration while clipping what is now kind of an ever-attractive uh, yield. So, you know, I do think it's, it's a good time to look at ZSB. I think that there's opportunity for credit spread Tightening, which you you may be able to take advantage of that. And I think right now, with with where the yield is relative to some some of its uh, longer uh, duration peers, I think ZSP is very well positioned for uh, an addition and/or a switch uh, within a portfolio.
2: Thanks for that update, Matt. And as you say, hundred point uh, move by the Bank of Canada certainly even more than the market expected let's switch gears and head over to energy where we've seen a pullback in WTI pricing. What is driving this move and how does it tie to forward expectations? Now, as you as you respond, how is this impacting ZEO, our our energy uh, ETF? And with all this volatility, what oil price do Canadian producers need uh, to be profitable? Thanks.
0: Yeah, WTI pricing is about $95. That's US dollars a barrel in the market. Um, You know, it was up near 120 uh, a few months earlier, so definitely correcting down. Uh, If you look look at Western Canadian select oil, which is, uh, you know, heavier oil, kind of more closely aligned with uh, the oil a lot of Canadian producers create, uh, produce, that's around $85. So definitely fear of recession is is uh, you know really, I, you know, in my opinion, one of the bigger drivers in the, in the equity markets right now, and that's really kind of increased over the last month. You know, energy is that cyclical sector that's going to tend to underperform, uh, you know, when you have that recessionary environment. Uh, that being said, you make a very good point. You know, um, I think if you look at kind of the oil price that companies are forecasting and and, and budgeting for for next year. You know, it's really around that $60, $65 uh, oil. Um, You know, obviously, uh, companies are not, we're not necessarily expecting oil to stay uh, above 100. So uh, these companies are extremely profitable right now. Uh, Forward price-to-earnings on on the large oil producers are are somewhere around the five range. You know, so we're talking five price-to-earnings. When you look at that market average is typically being 15, 16, 17. Uh, They're generating significant cash flow. So they are quite... Uh, financially healthy, even with oil down to uh, something in that $65, 70 a barrel range. Um, so, you know, if we think possibly there's a recession, um, you know, maybe a more shallow recession that could occur next year, you know, I think these energy companies can still potentially do quite well. Um, the recessions has again, a negative impact on the oil price. Uh, but, you know, is it going to take it down below $70 or so? You know, and that, that that would be the way, you know, that I would think about it. But that being said, the fear of recession is is the number one market driver in the short term. You're seeing that with ZEO in the energy sector. It's about 20% off the highs in the last five or six weeks or so. So investors are recalibrating that, you know. So in terms of positioning, you know, I'd say, there's a little bit of wait and see happening in the market. You know, I think if there's some profits to be taken, you know, may consider taking some profits, bringing that more to a perhaps a market weight type of uh, position. You know, there's still a lot of positive drivers in terms of oil companies, you know, namely is, you know, the disruption we talked about off, off the top and supply chains. And there's, there hasn't been a lot of investment into the, the energy industry because of uncertainty with regards to regulations and other factors. So i think the companies are you know probably going to be looking very good next year but you know i think there is some volatility in the short term driven around recession risks so i think there can be a little bit of wait and see you know investors might get a better buying opportunity to you know if they want to go consider going back overweight you know there might be a better opportunity in the coming uh weeks and months but it's a great point that even with Oil in this range, or even down another 20-25 percent, these companies are still uh, very financially uh, healthy and you know making significant profits. So, uh, you know, continues to be something that uh, investors can look at and, and have some in their portfolio. Uh, just size
2: it correctly. Great, thanks for that, Chris. Let's move over to U.S. equity markets, where advisors have noticed that the U.S. mid and small caps are ZMID and ZSML are continuing to move generally in line with ZSP or S&P 500 ETF. Many would have expected them to fall further than the market, uh, being smaller cap in nature. So what is different about the makeup of these indexes compared to the S&P 500 that is overcoming uh, that smaller cap volatility? and as you look forward is there still a greater risk with these as we consider uh this economic slowdown that we've been talking about thanks yeah it's
0: uh it's been remarkably similar performance for the three so the the large the mid and the small caps uh like within a 30 basis point rank so they're all just about 16.7 percent negative for the year um Like you said, there's a different composition, uh, that, that, that's a bit of a driver. Uh, technology has really become increasingly a larger component of the, of the large cap or the S&P 500. Uh, the IT weight is 27%, but don't, don't forget there's some there's some tech juggernauts in some other sectors as well, such as Amazon uh, in the consumer sector, or you have uh, Google, Facebook, Netflix, and communication services. So if you kind of take kind of those big big technology companies, you're you're looking at weight of technology and large cap somewhere closer to 40% really. Contrasted to mid and small, mid and small it's. You know, that IT weight's kind of more in the 12 to 13% range. So quite a bit less technology. And, and, you know, as we've seen this year, and we've talked a lot about this year on the podcast, is this impact of rising rates and what that's done to growth companies, you know, affecting them very negatively. We've seen the NASDAQ obviously underperform quite a bit, the broad market this year. So, you know, that's really what's happening. So, yes, uh, you're correct. The mid and the small are riskier exposures, net, net. Regard in you know with respect to uh, or in comparison to the S&P 500, they're slightly riskier. They just have that little higher risk tolerance over a risk uh, profile stand of standard deviation over time. Uh, but what has offset that this year is you know that underperformance of tech within the S&P 500. So that's kind of the dynamics. Uh, you're right. In a, in a negative market, you would expect small caps would be taking a little bit more brunt. But again, some of those sector dynamics are kind of equalizing. The, uh, equalizing the dynamics. So, you know, if you look forward, if, if, you know, if there's an environment of, of greater risk on the horizon, you know, that would argue for, for, for your positioning to be a little higher up the chain in terms of market cap. So more focusing into those large caps. And, you know, one, one way that I think that could work out for the broad beta and for ZSP in particular is we're in a hiking cycle right now, but as that recession risk, you know, really uh, comes through, let's say in next year, what we're gonna see then is easing rates. And you know, I think what we'll see is partially an unwind of what happened this year, rates are gonna ease, technology may outperform at that point. And we may see uh, large caps outperform for two reasons. Number one, there's more risk in the market. Uh, so large caps outperform small. And number two, with interest rates coming down, I think that could favor ZFP, which again has that higher technology weight. So that's how we'd be sizing it up. And you know the, the mid and the small, they can they can have a long term place in your portfolio. Uh, they can add to returns, give you exposure to smaller cap companies that aren't aren't covered in the large. Uh, but from a tactical point of view, you know the the best time to own those is kind of you know uh, before kind of the liftoff or, or you know kind of as as a recession really shows up. So you know I'd probably do a little more large cap and um, but continue to uh, you know uh,
2: keep keep an eye on those exposures. Thanks for that, Chris. Certainly an interesting dynamic and not coming out with the expected returns that advisors uh, would have thought. So, great explanation around the, the sector and the tech makeup there.
3: Does market volatility have you wondering where to go to ride out the storm? Not all cash equivalents are created equal, and BMO's money market and ultra short term bond ETFs offer several high quality options to park client cash. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.ca and search for tickers ZMMK, ZST, and ZUS, or read our latest product insights.
2: And we do have one more that's come in from quite a few different directions, uh, where ESG continues to be questioned in the news and in social media, uh, and most recently here in Canada in the Globe and Mail. What benefits do you see to an ETF branded ETF compared to an integrated ETF? Certainly a branded ETF will list ESG in its objective, while an integrated ETF will consider ESG as part of its um, investment strategies. And going beyond that, with the central question of how do these investments help shape a, a better outcome? how does ESG investing influence companies? Because I see that more and more getting challenged. Thanks.
4: Yeah. So, you know, ESG continues to be in the minds of, of investors and, you know, and as an industry, we continue to look for ways to to monitor and, and standardize, you know, what ESG really is. You know, as you mentioned, we regularly see it in the news and in social media, you know, there's often this question, um, of what a firm's ESG priorities are and and the impact that ESG investing, you know, truly has, you know, I I do think it is important for investors to understand the difference uh, in their ESG investments. And, you know, as, as you mentioned in the question, you know, starting with kind of what you are investing in and understanding what the differences are between the ESG strategies that you, that you are uh, investing in. And, And that may start with an ESG branded versus an ESG integrated ETF. You know, our ETF suite we lean toward ESG branded as our core ESG solutions, uh, and we continue to be the largest ESG ETF provider in Canada. So it is very important for us to be explicit in this and, and be explicit in these products. You know, what we do for these ETF branded solutions is that we uh, utilize the experts at MSCI. To execute uh, our ESG scoring, Uh, MSGI brings a higher standard and a rules based ESG scoring to our investment process and our investment universe. You know, they leverage over 200 ESG specific analysts, they cover over 7,500 companies uh, and 650,000 securities globally. So truly, they are, uh, MSGI is is global experts uh, in. ESG and what we try to do is leverage that expertise and ensure that Every security that is chosen within our ESG ETF meets this kind of uh, stringent criteria and meets those ESG guidelines provided uh, by um, MSCI. And we also have a track record of those, that scoring over time. So if, if an investor wanted to see you know, how a specific company tracked over time, you know, MSCI has the database and is the world leader uh, in that. That ensures that our ESG, ESG ETFs are the highest standard uh, in terms of ESG criteria while maintaining ESG as their primary focus rather than just a small input within the process. And I think that's where a lot of uh, the the media kind of gets in there where certain ESG integrated mandates can say that they, are, uh, they use ESG within the process without... Explicitly uh, having ESG as a priority, and I think that's where our uh, ETFs differ uh, and provide kind of that pure ESG exposure that a lot of investors are looking for. This is a direct approach, and it, it does change investors' allocation of capital, and it aligns aligns an investor's interest with company priorities. So, basically, by by changing that allocation of capital, investors are investing or, or providing capital for companies that that meet those ESG, um, that those ESG guidelines and criteria that, that investors want. So over time, we would expect that alignment uh, through capital allocation ch- changes will we'll create longer-term behaviors and objectives of these companies that'll curb how they make investments, why they make investments, uh, and and really will focus on all three factors of ESG in every investment that they make. And that's kind of the goal of these ESG products is to really start to, over the long term, change how companies and why companies make decisions and really put that ESG and the focus in in basically their decision-making process. Um, you know, at BMO, we offer a full suite of ESG products, uh, both branded and and integrated. You know, we offer equity. Fixed income and balanced solutions, and it can represent every aspect and segment of your portfolio. So, you know, I, I do think it's important for for investors to understand what they're investing in. And I think one of the big benefits of our ETF uh, or ESG ETFs here at BMO is that we are transparent. We we leverage a the third party experts uh, in in ESG uh, globally, and we can kind of uh, show from a from a historical perspective, how are ETFs fair from an ETF score, uh, ESG scoring perspective over time?
2: Great, and thanks for that, Matt. And certainly a, a big difference between an objective and a strategy in that with an objective, a branded fund, uh, ESG is a, the primary consideration, although with an integrated fund, it's, it's certainly there, but alongside other things that, that might lead into the construction of the portfolio. And I do think it's important to realize that uh, as the ESG market grows, that allocation of capital, you know, companies will will recognize that, will understand it, and that's where you can start to drive some, some powerful change. So with that, that's all the questions that have come in this week. Uh, so I want to thank everyone for listening in. We really appreciate your time. Thanks as well to both Matt and Chris, some of really the good responses today. A lot going on in the marketplace, so we appreciate your updates. With that, just want to wish everyone a great day, and thanks once again.
1: Thank you to Mark Rays, Chris Heeks, and Matt Montemuro for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today we heard about the BMO Short-Term Bond Index ETF, ticker ZSB, which could be a good option to capture attractive yield and take advantage of tightening credit spreads. Our experts also discussed the BMO S&P 500 Index ETF, ticker ZSP, which could outperform if interest rates begin to ease. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca.
3: The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not
1: guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.